it was just like, okay, we can, you know, we're getting raises. We can spend a little bit more. And a couple of years went by and we, we just had this realization. I'm not even sure what triggered it, but it, it, it was like, how in the world are we making, you know, this much money and don't have anything to show for it at, at the end of a couple of weeks, at the end of, you know, at the end of the pay period or at the end of the month? Why, you know, why am I having to transfer credit card balances to, you know, to the next 0% interest card to, you know, to get us through. The worst, I think, was I had some medical debt from an ER, an ER visit several years ago that was about $2,000. But the worst was uh, a, a mattress that we financed. That, that's what, <laughs> that's what hurt the most uh, when we, when we finally totaled all this stuff up. And it's like, you know, what in the world are we doing? What, you know, what, what in the world are we doing? You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. All right, everybody. Welcome back. Another episode of the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where we tell stories and strategies of everyday millionaires. This is Clark. Here with my co-host, Jace. This is episode 217. Jace, what's going on? Not a whole lot, man. How you doing? Good, good. Doing well. Excited uh, for the holidays here. Spend some time with family and friends. You guys got any big plans? Yeah, man. Uh, I uh, surprised the family with a trip to Disney. So, taking off oh. to Disney. Spend a little time at Disney. I didn't know that. When are you guys going? I think by the time this airs, we'll be there, but we'll see. Awesome, awesome. That's pretty fun. I haven't been there in a long time. Yeah, we went last year just for a day, just to see on on the way back from the DR, and spent New Year's Eve in Miami, and then did New Year's Day at Disney. and And my daughter, I mean, she just loved it. My son was a little bit too young at the time, but we had a great time. Went to Magic Kingdom, and so we're gonna we're gonna kind of do it again, a little fast and furious, and see how they do. But my kids are all about Mickey Mouse right now, so. We're gonna we're gonna do it. They don't know we're going yet. They'll find out, but it'll be a little surprise from Santa. Yeah, they get to know when Christmas morning. No, it'll be a little bit before then, but it'll be good. They'll the, it's gonna be a surprise for them for sure. They have no idea. I finally broke it to my wife. It was gonna be a surprise for her too. But last week we were hanging out at Kalahari Water Park here in in Austin indoor place, and we had a little time in, in the evenings. And uh, I was like, you know, I probably should give her a little bit more warning to get things kind of prepped. <laughs> you know, I don't want to stress her out too much. Yeah, exactly. Right after having a baby, I just don't want her to get too stressed. And, you know, got to make sure we got laundry and whatnot, especially because we're going to spend a little weekend in Dallas. And just there's just a lot of moving pieces and I've got some travel and stuff. So I just just kind of needed to make sure she felt comfortable with what was going to take place. So I, I broke the news to her. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that'll be fun. I'm excited for you guys. Yeah. So let me just, before we get into today's show here, let me just read a review we got uh, on iTunes from RB1978RB. I wonder what his initials are. There are a lot of FI-related podcasts and really enjoy this one as it dives into guest stories. Hosts do a good job at keeping the pace moving and following up with informative questions. I really look forward to the shows when they drop on Monday morning couple of suggestions, interview more business owners and their journey. So we'd love to get more business owners. Obviously, if, if we have business owners out there listening, we're trying to get more of those and drop shows two times a week. So we're working on that. So so thanks to RB1978 for leaving that review and anybody who listens. And, and of course, happy upcoming holidays to everybody. 
Just as a quick recap from last week, we had Danielle. She's in her early 30s, married with four-year-old twins, net worth 1.3. She's a CPA, so we talked about her career in public accounting. Her husband actually stays home full-time now with the kids after uh, working in the military. So great interview with her, and, and thanks to her for coming on the show. This week we have Stephen. He's a nurse, married. His wife teaches high school, net worth of just under 600000 about half of which, or a little bit more than half of which, is in investments across all different accounts, and, and then obviously some in, in cash and a few other investments. So a fun interview with Stephen and one of those millionaires that we're kind of tracking along the way. So thanks for hanging with us. Thanks for tuning in. And without any further delay, let's get into episode 217 with Stephen. Stephen, do you want to just give us a little bit about your background and what you're up to now? Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, so I'm a registered nurse. I've been a nurse for 10 years, uh, more or less. And um, before that, was a paramedic for about the about the same amount of time. I'm married to my wonderful wife, Melissa, um, who is an athletic trainer by trade and now teaches high school. Awesome. And what is your net worth today? Today, it's 575000 And how is that broken up? So that's comprised of about a $25,000 cash um, emergency fund. Um, our investments total about 355000 That's broken up into several things. My 403B at the hospital um, is about 134000 That has a, both a Roth component and a traditional component in that 134. My wife's 403B, she's got uh, rounded up. It's about 60000 and that's 100% traditional funds. She, We've newly started a 457 for her as well. Um, that's about $5,500. My IRA, which is invested with Vanguard, is about $67,000. Her traditional IRA is about $30,000. I have a Roth that we just started and it's got about $4,400. Her Roth IRA uh, rounds to about $14,000. We've got an HSA that we've contributing, been contributing to for the last, um, going on two years. And, uh, that's got about $15,000 in it. And we've got about $22,000 of 529 funds. Wow. So you've got quite the spread. And is all of that invested in equities in the marketplace? Most of it is, most of it is equities. Um, we've got both of our 403Bs have about a 10% fixed, in, fixed income component, um, and bond funds. But the remainder of it is 100% equity, and um, most of it is um, most of it's low fee, broad based index funds. Um, the majority of it with Vanguard. Awesome. Has it always been allocated much like you just described, or has there been kind of an evolution to get there? Yeah, we've we've kind of had a bit of an evolution before I really kind of started digging deep into the stuff when we really started being pack rats for um, <laughs> for for lack of a better term a few years ago. Um, we use some higher fee stuff, um, especially in our in our workplace retirement plans. And, you know, before I'd done the research, really just, you know, just looking at five and 10 year returns and, oh, you, you know, that, that that's got the, the highest return. So that's what I'm going to go with. And really how it's evolved in the last couple of years is I've realized that fees are super, super, super important um, and a potential huge drag on these returns. Um, and that's that's been the, the reason towards the sh uh, for the shift towards these um, low cost index funds most of it is uh, Vanguard total stock market funds at you know that have a 0.04 percent expense ratio um, so m mostly in cheap stuff 
stuff now, but it, it you know, it, it took a while to get there through, through a lot of self-education. Yeah. Did you start investing right when you started in your professional career or did it take a little bit of time to, to kind of get ramped up there? So yeah, yes and no. Um, my first job as a paramedic or as an EMT at that point, I uh, started working as an EMT part-time when I was still in college. And I think I was contributing $50 every two week pay period to the 401k there. That employer also participates in the state retirement plan. So I didn't really have a choice in the way those funds were invested. But yeah, we started kind of right from the beginning, even though it was, even though it was a tiny amount started with that. But really, you know, really have ramped up the contributions over the last few years. Um, since, since we've paid off, um, you know, paid off a good amount of debt. Totally. How much total debt have you paid off? So. I wish I would have written this down when we, you know, when we started, because I, I would love to have a record of the exact amount. But it was about thirty thousand dollars in consumer debt. That was a whole bunch of credit cards, small credit card balances, um, two car loans uh, for my wife and I's um, vehicle, and so that that was the uh, the consumer debt portion. We also had, by default, uh, had a rental property. Uh, it was the first townhouse we lived in when we got married. And we quickly were, you know, we're, we're starting to outgrow that and made the decision in 2011 to convert that to a rental that we were barely breaking even on and move into the house that we're in now. Uh, a few years ago, a few, few years back, sold that place. And uh, actually, after owning it for 10 years, had to bring about $5,000 to the uh, to the table to, you know, just to just to get rid of it. But um, we, we bought that place back in 2006. So, um, you know, that was kind of right at the the peak before the you know, before the market uh, took a took a dive in 2008. Interesting. Yeah, we don't hear that very often. People buying real estate and then having to bring some cash to the table to, to sell it, but it does happen. So let me ask, are you going to continue with the allocation that, that you've described that you have now, or do you think that'll change as you kind of progress in your career and, and your investing journey? My thought now is the philosophy probably will largely stay the same. Really, you know, we've seen something we can't unsee with how quickly we're, you know, accumulating and the, the, the way that, that, that we're doing it. Uh, and it's, it's working. So the, you know, the, the old saying is if it's, you know, if it's not, if it's not broken, don't really fix it. Now the allocation will obviously move, move a little bit more towards fixed income as we get closer to, um, cutting back at work or, or retirement. But, um, you know, right now we're, we're still going to be high exposure to equity and, you know, until we, till we get, closer and closer to the point at which we'll have to start drawing those funds. Yeah. So let me just summarize again, because I know you went through your allocation really quick and you got you got a ton of different retirement accounts. So just for our listeners, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Stephen, but I think it's about 350, just shy of 350, right? In retirement accounts. Right. About 170-ish in home equity. Is that right? Uh, and then- uh, yeah. And then about 40 between your 529 and, and is it eight, or between your 529 and HSA, right? Yeah, so it would be um close to close to 40. We've got 22 and 529s for for our two kids and uh about 15 in the HSA. So, yeah, close close to 40. Okay. 37 38. 25 30 in in cash or so. That that's right. And that you know that that ebbs and flows depending on, you know, on on cash flow that that $25,000 figure combines the the emergency fund and the, you know, and the checking account that we that we flow in and out of for monthly expenses. So, yeah. So we know your allocation here, and I, I think you shared your profession as a nurse, right? Right. So tell us the story of who Stephen is. How did how did this all start? I mean, you just mentioned to Jay some of this consumer debt, but back it up a little bit here. 
where did where did this how did this come to be? Yeah, no problem. Um, so backing it up way back, went to college in 2000. Thought I was going to go to medical school. Some bad choices of um, picking early morning classes for a semester kind of knocked that out of the park. Um, so I ended up actually with a business major and a, uh, a finance minor early on. And like I said, I started working part time on an ambulance while I was in college, and that became uh, a full time deal when I graduated. And um, did that for for a couple of years. I've always been interested in personal finance, and I thought, you know, I probably ought to do something with this with this business degree, um, with this finance concentration. So I actually, I don't think I mentioned this, um, you know, in the the communication that we've had so far. Um, but actually, um, got an insurance license and a and sold insurance and investments for about six or eight months. And man, the cold calling component just made that a deal breaker. I love going out and talking to people. I love sitting down and educating people. But what I had to do to sustain that business, um, it was it was just a non-starter, you know. And that in that business, people do really well and make a lot of money and experience some of that. But um, so I made the decision to go back to my uh, medical career in emergency medicine and went back to EMS and went to paramedic school and did that for a couple of years. And then kind of the next logical step to um, an increase in salary was nursing school. So I went to nursing school in 2009 and 2010 and graduated um, with an associate's degree in nursing at the end of 2010 and have been in the nursing field, mostly in the emergency room uh, since early 2011. We talking about the debt component, we, um, you know, just just got caught up in the cycle of um, income and, or, um, it, you know, kind of lifestyle inflation. And, you know, it, it it was just like, OK, we can you know, we're getting raises. We can spend a little bit more. And a couple of years went by and we we just had this realization. I'm not even sure what triggered it, but it, it, it was like, how in the world are we making, you know, this much money and don't have anything to show for it at, at the end of a couple of weeks, at the end of, you know, at the end of the pay period or at the end of the month? Why, you know, why am I having to transfer credit card balances to, you know, to the next zero percent interest card to, you know, to get us through? We, um, like I said, we had both of our cars financed. Um, you know, we bought pretty much nothing but new vehicles. And so we had car payments. We had, um, you know, had a, had a lot of credit card debt. The, the worst, I think, was I had some medical debt from an ER, an ER visit several years ago that was about $2,000. But the worst was, uh, a, a mattress that we financed that that's what <laughs> that's what hurt the most uh, when we when we finally totaled all this stuff up and it's like you know what in the world are we doing what you know what what in the world are we doing fortunately um i like to read and um found dave ramsey's book the total money makeover what did you student let me just cut you there how yeah. did you where did you come to that moment of like what are we doing is that oh you were just about to say you you came across dave ramsey yeah, yeah. So, you know, came across Dave Ramsey. I'm, I'm really not sure exactly what the impetus was, exactly what the, you know, the, the jumping off point was. I wish I could think back and, you know, kind of drill down and, and, and remember exactly, you know, exactly how that happened. But we, we were basically just sick, you know, sick and tired of, um, you know, working as hard as we do and not having anything to show for it. So I found this book and I read it and, you know, thought it was just the best thing on earth and pretty much pretty much forced my wife to read it for, you know, for lack of a better description. And, and, and she did. And you, you, you know how it is. If you've ever, you know, you've ever had to teach somebody something that they don't want to be taught. We kind of, you know, half-heartedly put his, um, put his program into place and actually got some of the debt paid off and, um, 
we were doing really well. I can remember, I can't remember this. This was probably five years ago. We were really doing pretty well, kind of, you know, kind of half-heartedly doing this program. And we did a big family vacation to Disney World. There were 18 or 19 of us um, with extended family. We went down there for almost a week. And it was the first time we'd ever gone on a trip where we'd completely, you know, we'd planned for it. We'd saved up for it and we paid for it with cash. And then I got a call the night before we were supposed to come home that there was a, a tree that had fallen, fallen through the roof. <laughs> oh, geez. so, um, yeah. So we had to come back and we left early and came back and this tree is, you know, just demolished the back, you know, the back part of our house and, you know, had to replace the roof at that point and, um, had, had, had did, to, did insurance cover that? They, um, so, uh, it's a, it's a two part answer. Fortunately, just before that, um, we had renewed our homeowner's policy. And at the time, uh, one of my relatives was, um, my insurance agent and I had asked him like, Hey, you know, is there any way we can, you know, get this wind and hail deductible lowered? And he, he pulled some strings and said, yeah, it's, you know, it's knocked down to $2,000. Um, so long story short, insurance did pay for some of it. They would not cover the whole roof. And we've also got a, um, got an in-ground pool and the tree came down and cracked the pool deck. And that was a seven, several thousand dollar repair as oh, well. Wow, wow, um, wow. But anyway, you know, the, the insurance claim helped, but we still had to finance several thousand dollars of a new roof. So, you know, that kind of started the, you know, kind of started the, the progression over. So a couple months so ago. So how much in total debt? Sorry, it was 30,000 consumer, right? Was yeah. There, I know you had the house, but let's take the house out of it. Did you have cars, student loans? Yeah. Um, so we were very, both very fortunate um, in that we did not have any student loans. That So that's that's one obstacle obstacle we didn't have to overcome at all. I had some scholarships, which, you know, were, were gone after the first year after <laughs> my subpar performance uh, my freshman year at college. Um, and, um, my wife was fortunate enough to, to have her, her four year degree paid for. So we didn't start with that. Thinking about it, that, that roughly $30,000, the, the roof, um, or the, you know, the, the housing component was, was included in that. A lot of commingled funds. We put some of the roof on a credit card. So that, that was part of the credit card debt, but, uh, uh, an insurance claim helped us out with that. So then going forward, after you first paid cash for that experience, that's kind of what started the turn here. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that kind of first put, you know, got the, got the fire lit, I guess. And it was like, man, this, you know, this feels pretty good. And then we, then we had to increase the debt load to, you know, fix the house and everything. And, um, then just kind of went back into coast mode and paycheck to paycheck for a couple of months. Then the, the real turning point church we were attending at the time was meeting with a pastor and he, he just asked, he said, how can, you know, how can we help you? And, um, we started, we started talking about finances and, um, he said, well, let me, you know, let me, let me see what we can put together. And that night there was a financial peace university class being put together at the church that we started a couple months later. And from, from then on, that was in January. From then on, we just really got intense uh, about paying things off, had a pretty large tax refund a couple of months after we started the class that really helped. But all in all, we paid all of that consumer debt off within about 13 months. I remember I made the made the final payment at about 12.02 in the morning when my paycheck was deposited into the account on my birthday in, in, in February. So that, that was kind of a, you know, and it, I was really getting, really anticipating that moment and then um, made the final payment and there was nobody to celebrate with and everybody was asleep and kind of went back to bed. <laughs> and it was like, really, we had, the, the cool thing about all this is our lives changed so much for the better over that, little over a year. I, I don't think I mentioned this either, 
but when we really, you know, kind of got intense and um, made that first budget, kind of had that first budget meeting, we had been putting everything on, you know, on credit cards. We paid most of them off, but we'd been putting everything on credit cards, all recurring or all expenses, period, except for the mortgage and the car payments went on a credit card. So it was real easy to um, to track spending. And we did about a three month uh, analysis back and we were spending somewhere in the range of twelve hundred dollars a month in fast food and dining out. So as bad as thirty thousand dollars in debt sounds, you know, half of it was gone just by just by setting a reasonable budget for, you know, for fast food and restaurants. So, yeah. So, I mean, it, it was definitely a relief to, to not have that um, that debt hanging over our heads anymore. And that was about the time I started, um, you know, I was like, you know, we've but now we need to, you know, kind of move to the next phase of this plan and, you know, figure about figure out where, you know, figure out what we're going to do with our investments. And I didn't, I don't think I mentioned either. I had turned off my 401k contributions completely while we were in that debt pay down. And that, you know, that hurt that that's one of the, one of the things with that program that I think I would have done differently. I was essentially giving up free money and there, you know, there's a lot to be said for the emotional component over just the math component, but that's, you know, that's, that's one of them that we'd have been a little further ahead, I guess, if, um, you know, if we would have kept up our contributions, but at any rate, started to, started to think about what we were going to, kind of where our money needed to be going. And in doing that, we, you know, had all these old accounts with uh, former employers. I had a a 401k with um, uh, the county from working on the ambulance and some state retirement funds that were there and not accruing any interest since I didn't work there anymore. It was part of a pension plan. And she had some old, um, old 401k stuff with a previous employer. And I uh, sat down with a piece of paper one night and started adding them up. And I, I mean, I was shocked to realize that we were, um, that we were worth almost a hundred thousand dollars, um, without even doing anything. So, you know, fortunately I started doing a lot of research, reading a lot of books, um, about investing. I started, I think the first thing I ever read was, um, uh, that, that really truly helped was the, um, the Bogleheads Guide to Investing. And, um, then I, you know, discovered some of these financial independence resources, some of the podcasts and, um, uh, JL Collins, Simple Path to Wealth. And, um, you know, briefly did use an advisor, actually. I used a, um, I don't, I don't know if you want to get into this now, but, uh, a fee only advisor that we paid about a hundred dollars a year, um, to, you know, do some analysis and make some recommendations. And the reason that we, um, that we used him was primary, you know, primarily because of his designations. He was able to, uh, give us some recommendations on the money that we already had. We looked at, Using, um, Vanguard's advisory service, but they were only, you know, they were only willing to provide advice on, you know, assets that we, you know, that we would have with them. And that was, you know, pretty much a non-existent portion of our net worth at that point. So this, um, this guy that I used for a couple of years was a, you know, met with me a couple of, couple of times a year, total of four or five hours a year and Skype calls and Zoom calls and was able to give me some pretty, you know, pretty tailored advice, um, on, you know, kind of what to do. And it was pretty, pretty common sense stuff, um, from a, certainly from a, with a fiduciary standard in mind. Steven, let me ask, was it pretty hard to give up that $1,200 a month bill for, for eating out and enjoying those times out? Yeah. So somebody would have come at me with that request, um, just with no, no other information in hand. That would have been pretty hard. It just says, Hey, you know, you, you need to, you need to stop eating out so much. Um, you could, you know, you could save a lot of money. But because we looked at the details and, you know, kind of looked at the opportunity cost of that money, I mean, that's that, that's 
more than more than some people bring home a week or every two weeks. We realized they kind of did some calculations and some future value calculations. I'm like, oh, you know, oh my God, you know, we <laughs> we could be worth hundreds of thousands more dollars and by retirement age if we would just, you know, kind of set a reasonable budget for for dining out. So after you know, after after that talking through that and you know, kind of seeing some of those projections, it, it was a lot easier to stomach. Yeah, I can imagine. So what were the conversations with your wife like when you started having this realization and this moment that, hey, you know, I think Dave Ramsey calls it the I've had it moment. What, what did you all discuss? How did this come about and how did she get on board? How did you all get together to, to, to attack this? You know, she's probably um, a more reasonable spender and a lot more frugal person. Even before I had figured this out, she um, she just she you know, she just didn't read the book first. <laughs> so our first few budget meetings after the I've had it moment were not pretty. It was a gut check, a gut wrenching feeling when I finally got the nerve up to total up um, exactly how much we owed people, including this mattress company <laughs> and sit down, you know, sit down and discuss it with her. It was, it, it just was not a good feeling. Fortunately, she is just, she's just awesome. She's fantastic. And, um, showed a lot of grace and there were, there were a lot of things that we, um, that, that we disagreed on in the way, you know, the way that, that, that I had proposed that we, you know, get out of debt and spend money, but we, we worked it out. You know, we worked it out. Thankfully, like I said, we both kind of came to the realization that we just couldn't keep doing what we were doing, really truly be happy, you know, with, without a major change. It was, we, we got married in 2007 and we went through, uh, this financial peace course four or five years ago. So that would be 2015 or 2016. So we went from the point where we met until 2016 without ever really creating a cash flow plan or a budget or a spending plan. I, I, I really don't know, really don't know how financially we survived for so long without having better money conversations. Were those conversations, did you all have them when you were, you know, let's just say dating or early in the marriage or just, it really just didn't come about until this I've had a moment? You know, they predominantly came about after that I've had it moment. Before that, it was, I think I had to say this, it was um, a lot of, I, you know, I, I really kind of kept my thumb on the finances. It, you know, there was, there was no, there was no component of hiding anything. That's, you know, it's just what I'd always done though. And I've, I'm not a frugal person by nature, at least not in those days. I was a, a super uh, tech junkie, always, you know, always had the latest phone model, um, always had the latest computer, drove brand new cars. And, you know, whenever she needed something, she would, you know, she would just ask, Hey, do we have, you know, 200 bucks to spend uh, that? That's, that's kind of, that's kind of the extent of it. It was a lot of calculations on monthly payments versus the, the total cost of things back in those days. And that, that was a huge mistake. You know, since we've, since we started, Started talking and, and analyzing in terms of total costs and uh, opportunity costs and, you know, kind of had a mindset shift in that direction. Things, I mean, things are just night and day different than, you know, shopping for a car based on how much it's going to cost a month. That, I mean, that's a, that's a way to financial disaster. And it, it took us a, took us a long time to get to this point. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that. I mean, it's extremely vulnerable to, to discuss, you know, some of the challenges that, People have sometimes in finances or, or in their household, but I think it's important, especially for for those that start out on a phone, maybe like you did, and you're young and still can c- kind of course correct, if if you will, 
and make some of those adjustments versus maybe doing it in your 40s and 50s or, or 60s even down the road. So, Stephen, I want to ask, as you've had this moment and you've started developing these plans and you've got the debt paid off, where is the vision for the future for y'all? The vision for the future, I would like to get to a point where we can have pretty much a self-sustaining portfolio. And I don't really have any plans to stop working at a certain point. I've done this a couple of times um, in the in the different jobs that I've had. And I do know for a hundred percent fact that I'm always a lot happier when I'm doing things or doing, you know, doing things with my job because I want to versus because I have to and because I need a paycheck. So I'd, I'd, I'd like to get to that point. It would be nice to, you know, be able to take off and, you know, take a trip or take a couple of months sabbatical or maybe a semi early retirement, maybe an early retirement. As far as the numbers, um, uh, you know, this is why we've made so much progress in the last couple of years. I think um, with really expense projection, our our financial independence number. I mean, that's what it hinges on. You know, on on how much we expect our expenses to be. And I know you've um, you've had plenty of folks mention the you know the four percent rule or twenty five times your annual income, but that's that's kind of the guiding principle now. Um, is that we'd like to get to a point where our uh, investments that we're able to draw on are at twenty five times the our projected annual expenses so that, you know, we can kind of put that rule into practice and, you know, have something that's, uh, that's self-sustaining, um, so that we can work if we want to, but the, the paycheck doesn't really matter as much. So that, that, that's, you know, that's, that's kind of the goal. Yeah. So yeah, thanks for sharing. So we, we talked about the allocation. We talked about the story where you are, where you want to go. So where are you at now? You know, I know, I know you have a little bit more of a flexible schedule. You guys are saving what a, a significant amount, right? You're currently saving over 50%. Yeah, I think um I think our savings rate last year and uh, it's it's pretty pretty much on track this year as well to be close to that um was about 55%. Is that of of gross or <clears throat> net take home? No, that's that's of gross. So that that includes a lot of the um the qualified stuff that you know that comes out um the 403Bs and the 457 that comes out before taxes. Okay, gotcha. So you're really making I mean you wrote to us our net worth is about 575 with most of it accumulated in the last 3 to 4 years. So you're you're really adding to this rapidly now. We are. We've um we've of course been helped like um like most of the other investing world over the last several years with um a heck of a bull market that's, you know, maybe sure. looks like it's starting yeah, to turn. That's all right um, though. Part of it is just getting money in there, right? Yeah, you know, and you know an, an important thing for us was, you know, kind of coming up with a solid plan in the beginning and that helps us to you know, that helps us to keep from deviating from the plan, uh, you know, based on day to day scenarios. When we had the, the big drop back in back in March, um, you know, we were able to, to look and say, hey, you know, we decided a, a long time ago that this was going to be the plan, um, that we weren't going to change anything based on, you know, based on day to day scenarios. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm not investing for three months from now or six months from now. I'm investing for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now. So, you know, is cashing out everything because I, I have a premonition that, you know, that the market's going to tank. And then you really have to be right twice when you do that. Um, and, it, you know, it, it took a long time to learn that. So we we do, you know, with this this cash reserve that we have, we've got money on the sidelines, a little bit of money to, you know, kind of kind of buy dips uh, in the market. But, um, you know, even that, you know, even that's considered market timing, I guess. Um, so, it, you know, nobody's totally immune to it. But for the large part, we're we're long term investors. and um, it's it's really it's really boring investing. It's it really is. It's <laughs> it's a it's a boring investing style, but it's um it's a nice reinforcer to log into personal capital every once in a while and go, oh, you know, holy crap, we've 
yeah. really, you know, we've really done a good job over the last few years. Um, yeah, so. I mean, way to go, right? I mean, congrats. You guys flipped it around and now you're crushing it. So way to go. Yeah, yeah. So, and you, you know, what we've really, really realized after cutting out all of the stuff, um, you know, not spend going from spending $1,200 a month on fast food. And a lot of that, you know, a lot of that stuff was me not preparing and, and planning meals, you know, for work. I've worked 12 hour shifts and it's real, real, real easy to order DoorDash or run down the street to the, you know, the restaurant. And those, those 10 or $15 meals add up. I saw something right. the other day that, that said, you know, what, what's the quickest way to spend $10,000 a year? It's to spend $27 and 44 cents every day. And, you know, that's, that's kind of been the crux of it. It's like, you know, we can, we can save a lot of money as long as we just do it one day at a time. So did your coworkers, were they living the same way? And did they think you were crazy when you stopped or what? Was that was there any not tension, but was there any like difference there in how people spent their money? Because you always hear, at least Dave Ramsey always says, right, you are normal. People right. That we're spending. Was that your that, perception that, as well? That's pretty much it. Um, I work with a couple of nurses who are of the same mindset as I am and pretty frugal people and are probably worth a heck of a lot of money at this point. They're the people I have in mind are um, a good bit older than than me. But most of the most of the folks that I work with. Um, like I said, it's not uncommon. Hey, we're, um, we're going to grab DoorDash. Um, we're putting together an order. Uh, what do you want? You know, walking out in the parking lot and, you know, seeing these 30, 40, 50, $60,000 cars that, you know, people obviously don't own that, that are, that are bank owned. You know, that's, that's normal. That's, that's, that's the norm. Yeah. Dave, Dave Ramsey says, um, uh, I think, um, uh, says you're weird people. Right. Right. So let's shift and talk about, go back to this, uh, flexibility, this work flexibility and how that's been able to help, help you both. Yeah. I think it's the best thing in the world. You, you know, it's a, it's a relatively high paying job. Like I said, I've been in the profession for going on 11 years now, uh, with the same company. I work, um, a weekend position. I usually work Friday, Saturday and Sunday, or excuse me, Saturday, Sunday and Monday nights. That's my straight time schedule. And those are 12 hour shifts. And. So for every three days that I work, I've got four and a half days off and we've structured our schedules. Like I said, my wife's a teacher. So she works a Monday through Friday position during the day. Um, I work on the weekends. Um, we've never had to really pay for daycare, which is a huge expense. We don't see a lot of each other, but, um, we, you know, we've, we've kind of always worked this way. We, we just make it work. <laughs> um, yeah, somebody, some, somebody asked me not too long ago. When I was talking about, you know, how, kind of how we've worked opposite schedules for so long, um, said, how, you know, how have you stayed married for over a decade working opposite schedules? And I think my response was something like, how have you stayed married for so long being home together so often? It's just, you know, it's just what we know. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely a non-traditional schedule. The advantage, the huge advantage though, is I've got a ton of time off. And, you know, at the time of this recording, I've got 11 day. I've got, I'm starting an 11 day stretch of vacation time by taking three wow. shifts, you know, by taking three days off. So, you know, all these financial independence folks that, you know, that are just, you know, head down, I'm going to work as hard as I can to hit this number and then, and then planning on hitting the eject button. We've realized, you know, that that's where, where I'm not that way. I, you know, I love, love what I do. I love helping people and it's only three days a week. And I, you know, I can take three days off and have almost two weeks in a row off. I can do that five or six times a year. So it, it really is a, I, I think the power of shift work is really underutilized and, you know, in this type of community. Yeah. I'm trying to think of other professions that are like that, right? So unique. Yeah. I heard a, um, um, gosh, I'm trying to, trying to remember where I, I heard, um, I think it was on, um, on the choose FI podcast. 
they interviewed someone and I can't remember what she did. Um, I know air traffic control, they kind of work on shift and get paid a heck of a lot of money. They're, they're even their starting salary is mega bucks. Um, it's super stressful, but, um, she was, she did some type of engineering job, this girl that I'm thinking of and really, really had a, um, had a large salary, but had that same type of, that same type of shift work, um, where she was able to, you know, kind of figure out, figure out something that, you know, that worked for everybody. And I, I mean, I just think it's the best thing in the world. And I guess I'm a little biased, but I do get, you know, I do get paid a couple of premiums. I get paid a premium for agreeing to work every weekend. Yeah. It ends up being about 20,000 extra dollars a year. And I'm in a position where our hospital system owns, um, six different emergency rooms in the area. And I'm in a flexible position where I, you know, I just go where they need me to go. Um, but it's always the same shifts for the most part. And they're, you know, I'm paid a premium for that as well on, you know, on top of my regular, regular nursing pay. And the, you know, that usually work ends up usually working out to where I get scheduled night shift. That's probably 50 or 60% of the time. Uh, but sometimes it's day shift or mid shift, but it's always the same three days a week. And, um, you know, there's, there are premiums involved for, for those late shifts as well. So they really stack up. And like I said, we've, We've, we've just really done well getting it beat into us that if we don't spend everything we make, um, we can, you know, we can really, um, really win the game here. Yeah. So along that lines, what motivates you now? Is it staying out of debt? Is it a certain amount of income? Is it for the children? Is it, I mean, what's the, what's really deep down? What's the driver for you now? Yeah. There's a, there's a component of, you know, each of those things that you mentioned, but what, you know, what I'm realizing is, you know, time is really the, you know, the most valuable non-renewable resource that I have. I can always make more money if I need to pay pay for something. We are we are not going back into credit card debt. I do use credit cards. I don't know if we mentioned that. Um, I'm religious about, you know, paying off the balances almost every couple of days now. Really gotten into the travel rewards game. We've really gone on some pretty cool trips over the last year. Um, we just went to um, just went to Orlando and did four days at Universal that was completely paid for with, um, you know, with Chase Points. A couple of months ago, flew to Nashville kind of on a whim and spent the night there with my kid. And that was that was funded by Chase Points and a, a companion pass with Southwest. Uh, last Christmas, uh, we all all four of us went to Costa Rica for a week. And that was pretty much all funded with credit card rewards points. But, um, you know, it's certainly a certainly a slippery slope, you know, using credit cards again. But, you know, when when the budget is laid on top of that and we spend based on what we've budgeted to spend based on versus how much, how much money it looks like we have in our checking account. That's, that's been the key. You know, that's, yeah. that's really been the key. Um, yeah. so, you know, so, so motivation, I love having time at home to hang out, to learn new things. Like I said, I got an eight and a 10 year old. I'm able to walk to them with the bus stop every morning and get them off the bus in the afternoon and hang out with them. That both, both kids are involved in sports. My daughter's a gymnast. I get to take her to gymnastics practice. My kid just started playing. Uh, my son just started playing hockey and he's a little bruiser. So, you know, getting to getting to take him to hockey practice and hockey games and sit there and watch and and not 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 worry about how, you know, how we're going to pay the ne- make the next credit card payment or car payment. It's it's just I mean, it's it's a feeling that really can't be put into words more so than you thought it would be. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah. And it's it's really it's really tough to describe how we lived on so little of a budget while we were paying down debt and that thinking back on it that was one of the you know that was one of the happiest times of my life because we were being forced to sit at home and develop you know cheap and free things to do and it involved spending a lot of time with family and a lot of board games and a lot of cooking at home and getting to know each other better rather than um 
you know, just buying more stuff, you know, spending a lot of money. It forced us to um, really kind of look at what what's important and what, you know, what really increased our happiness. Is it hard to keep it that way? Do you find yourself reverting back to spending more or not so much? No, I don't I don't think so. Um, when we make a big purchase, I guess, um, you know, I, I, I guess when and that's the other thing um, we we discuss now, <laughs> any big purchases we're going to make. Um, I don't think I mentioned this either. One of the one of the new cars that I bought in 2011, I just brought home. <laughs> don't do that if you're married. That's that's not a not a way to a, um, a, a, happy, a, a happy couple of days is um, trading in a, um, a used car and buying a brand new car and financing the, almost the whole thing. That's um, that, that didn't that didn't work out too well. But um, yeah, I, you know, I guess when we when we make big purchases, it's you know, it's easy to say, oh, well, it'd be nice to to, to have this to go with it. But um, we're able to keep that in check pretty well. And yeah. really, the you know, the I don't want to say addiction, but the the dopamine hit that we that we got. You know, every time we spent money or bought something that disappeared quickly, now I mean, it's really flipped to investing and saving money and going. You know, this is this puts us that much closer to um, being able to make work optional if we want. Sure. So let me. Thanks for sharing that. Let me just wrap up here with a couple of rapid fire questions, and then sure. we'll get into some last advice. So, uh, what's your? If you're comfortable sharing here, wh- how much do you guys spend a year annually? We spend, um, and that's the one thing that I don't have exact numbers on. So, including a mortgage payment. Probably seventy, seventy-two thousand dollars a year. Okay, and then if you're comfortable sharing, what about income levels? What's been your range of household income? Yeah, range was really little when we started working. No more than thirty or forty thousand dollar jobs a piece. So less than eighty a year when we started. Um, and now we'll probably file taxes um, at the end of the year. It'll probably be close to one hundred and fifty thousand. Awesome way to go, way to go. I'm just curious, how much does a paramedic make? Uh, not a whole lot of money. Not enough. Not enough for the for for what they do. Trying to think now, probably forty five or fifty thousand dollars a year without any overtime. Okay. Uh, do you have a specific financial goal? Yeah, like um, really to just get enough to accumulate enough that we could potentially make um, work in optional if we wanted to. And based on that four percent rule, a million and a half to two million dollars a year um, would give us everything that we needed for a you know a sixty to eighty thousand a year spend rate. And that, you know, we'll, we'll definitely, I didn't mention, we, um, we refinanced our mortgage a couple of years ago and we're able to take advantage of, um, you know, a, a pretty big increase in value and finance away some, some PMI. So we fi- refinance from a 30 year mortgage to a 15 year mortgage and the net increase, um, out of pocket is about 200 bucks because we were able to finance away that, that $200. Interesting. That's market. crazy. Drop so, it yeah. to 15 only goes up 200. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and that, like I said, that happened because we were able to get rid of the, it was an FHA loan. So, so you know, how that, much was the PMI? Um, gosh, close to $200 a month. I think it was, um, it was pretty significant and we were able to get rid of that. Um, you know, the, yeah. <laughs> the appraiser showed up and I said, I know you guys can't take advice, but I'm, I really need to see this figure. And, um, he said, you're right. I can't take advice. And, the appraisal came in exactly <laughs> at that dollar figure. You know, it, it just really, really worked out to our advantage. So at any rate, um, we plan to have the mortgage out of our lives by, you know, the time we end up pulling whatever trigger we're going to pull, whether that's um, whether she stops working completely or we both go part time or or whatever. So mm-hmm. we've got about nine and a half years if we don't pay any extra, which we're do- we're, we're doing a little bit right now uh, of the mortgage and that'll be gone. So future expenses would be 
5,000 bucks a month, $60,000 a year. And that would, you know, put us with a 4% rule um, calculation, you know, needing to accumulate about, about 1.5 million. Well, awesome, Stephen. I mean, thanks for coming on. Really amazing story, right? I mean, you guys have really flipped it. So as you look back on this story, we just talked about for about 45 minutes here or so, but what would be your your last piece of advice to somebody who's either just starting off or maybe they feel like they're burdened down with debt in a similar situation and they're trying to get out of it? What would be your, your advice? Pay off the debt as quick as you can if, if you've got it. Man, these student loans are crazy. Costs of college are, are crazy right now. And I'm hoping that's, you know, that's, that's going to change as, as a result of everything that we're going through over the last six months or so. Also put as much away as you can and for make it automatic payroll deductions. That's, that's been huge for us. Um, being able to kind of set it and forget it. Non financial really focus on self improvement and find some things that actually make you happy. This, um, this concept of being able and, you know, enjoy more family time. Really doing during, you know, during the prime of our life in our, you know, 30s and 40s um, means a lot. So st- starting to accumulate as early as possible w- would have been huge for us um, or, you know, is, and, and is, is huge for us. But, man, you know, it's, it's always easy to look back and say, well, what if? Um, but if we just started started sure. saving, saving like we are now 10 or 15 years ago, um, we'd, we'd be in, you know, we'd, we'd be in a whole lot better position than we are now. Well, we all look back, right? To some right, degree. Right. And you live and you learn and hear yeah. other people's stories and you make improvements on your own life. So thanks again, Stephen, for coming on. Really fascinating story. And, and you guys will be there in no time. And we're going to have you on again when you hit Millionaire Status. So very cool. That'll Looking be forward fun. to it. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.